being able to tell stories, to put faces and names and places to what we are experiencing and what we know we care about is such an important tool. A gym teacher asked, what's going on over there? Storytelling to me means sharing a vision from one mind to another. My brother decided to give me a calf of his. My heart was beating rapidly. I couldn't keep up with it. Storytelling is so important. It's the way we get our message across. It's the way we advocate for others. Welcome to Extension Out Loud, a podcast from Cornell Cooperative Extension. I'm Paul Treadwell. And I'm Katie Bailden. What are we talking about this time? We're talking about the Rural Storytelling Project, and this is a very collaborative project. It involved some Cornell Cooperative Extension summer interns in Ulster, Dutchess, and Columbia Green counties. It is a partnership between the CCE Summer Internship Program and Cornell's Office for Engagement Initiatives. We've been doing internships now for quite some time here at Cornell Cooperative Extension, and what that process is there's an application process. Students apply to specific programs in specific counties that are generally meant to connect Cornell very directly with the work that's going on in the counties. So this year, obviously, some of the interns had very different experiences than the on-the-ground work. And this particular internship actually lent itself really well to a digital format because they were working in various mediums of telling stories across differences with 4-Hers. Hello, my name is Jane Rod. I'm the program leader for 4-H for Dutchess County. This is Linda Tripp, and I am the issue leader for 4-H in Columbia and Green Counties. I am Melanie. I am the program leader in CCE Ulster, and I helped to conceive of this project. Hi, I'm Wendy. I'm a junior majoring in environment sustainability, and I'm from New York City. Hi, I'm Seth. I'm also a junior studying applied economics and management, and I am from Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Hi, I'm Madison. I'm also a junior at Cornell, and I'm studying English and history, and I'm originally from Connecticut. Hi, I'm Julia. I'm 13 years old, and I'm from LaGrangeville, New York. My name is Catherine. I am from Hyde Park, and I am 14 years old. Jane, if you can just start out telling us what was the storytelling project and why storytelling? Storytelling is so important to what goes on in our world today. And the more we have to do virtually, the more important it becomes. It's the way we get our message across. It's the way we advocate for others, what we do. It's the way we motivate people to take part in what we do. There really aren't many walks of life where having the gift of storytelling is not a big advantage. So Melanie was really the inspiration behind bringing Linda and I into this project. And it's been wonderful for three counties to be able to collaborate and bring this opportunity to our youth using a, well, it's basically a train the trainer module. So we set up the program 
we were able to have a professional storyteller do the training of the interns and then in turn the interns were able to pass that training on and give the youth in our counties the chance to participate. And so Melanie, since you were identified as the main mover in this project, could you talk about what was the spark that made you think we need to do some storytelling? Oh, I think it kind of has two different entry points. I think one is our public presentations program and the value that that program has for our program participants and having taken a pretty deep dive into how we're teaching it, what we're teaching, trying to keep improving that program, trying to modernize that program in our district in the last five or six years. One element we really identified was missing was storytelling. And then there's sort of the broader landscape that we're in, which is that things are very political Things are very divided. Divisions are heightening and we're othering a lot in our culture. So storytelling is a way to get out of these monoliths of what it is to live in a rural community, what it is to live in an urban community, what it is to live in a suburban community. So realistically, I think the model we use could and will be replicated in any of one of those three environments, but in what at least had been a rapidly urbanizing world where more and more people were living in cities, it seemed very important to make sure that our rural stories weren't being lost, either from an individual perspective or from a community perspective of what is my rural community about. One of you interns sitting out there, tell me what this project was. What was the goal? When we were planning the rural storytelling project under the direction of Melanie, Jane, and Linda, they kind of gave us a lot of free reign. And that was a little scary at first. And we were kind of unsure exactly of what we we're going to do with this project, especially when it moved virtually. And none of us had run virtual workshops before. So we all kind of sat down and we wrote different purpose statements in order to kind of combine them all into one. So that we'd have like a vision for what this project would look like. And it morphed into this really cool blend between my background, which is rural, Wendy's background, which is urban, and then Madison's background, which is in the suburban type of area. So we all had very different outlooks and it all kind of meshed. Do you want to learn the secrets of storytelling? Do you want your stories to make a difference? Do you want to engage with the stories of your community? then the Rural Storytelling Project is perfect for you. I have the purpose statement here, and I'll just read it quick, give the idea of what this project was. The Rural Storytelling Project aims to help 4-H teen members develop their own storytelling project and broaden their technical skills in various storytelling mediums in order to bridge the rural-urban divide in upstate New York. Youths will foster a deeper sense of community engagement, confidence, and collaboration by empathizing with actively listening to and reflecting on the stories of their peers and community. So I'm hoping we can shift a little bit to the why each of you participated in this project. More personally, what was your inspiration and what value did you attach to this project? The value of the Rural Storytelling Project for me was the fact that it so closely aligns with our positive youth development mission So people still think of 4-H as being something where kids learn to care for a cow or milk a goat, but it's so much more than that these days. You know, the focus really is on life skills and the skills that our youth are going to need to be successful in this rapidly changing world and to be able to make a difference to the future. The storytelling skill is just so essential for that to me 
we were able to give 14 youth this really once-in-a-lifetime experience. For my part, I really feel this opportunity to collaborate with two of my close colleagues in neighboring counties was, was really a highlight. I think this project also helps to bring value to a few things that are really undervalued in our culture. One of them is storytelling itself, which essentially is the way that history was passed on along for millennia. And sometimes we can put too much of a focus on quantitative things. And of course, in Cooperative Extension, we're all about data and science, but sometimes we forget about the importance of the emotional connection, which is to me what storytelling really is. The other thing I think about is that I come from two cultures that are heavily into storytelling, which are both Finnish culture and Irish culture. And I think there's a kind of a myth that you're either naturally a storyteller or you're, you know, not naturally a storyteller. Really helping people to understand that becoming a storyteller has value and that telling our story is as important, if not more important sometimes than dumping all of our data into one place. I think our rural communities are really undervalued right now as well. I think so putting that particular lens on this project also helped. Although I do want to reiterate that I think that this project could be replicated in any one of the communities in which we're, we are, which is everywhere in New York State. One of the things that I want to go back to, when you started planning for this project, Melanie, uh, Jane, and Linda, I assume the planning process occurred before the world blew up. So what was the experience of having to transition this project into something that relied on technology to help facilitate a very human sort of experience? I can jump in there. Yes. Yeah, so we found out about this grant or, and, and I wrote it January, February time. So indeed before the world had blown up, I will say happily we had had the experience in March in the County that I'm in. We ended up doing our virtual public presentations program, which I think has a lot of ties to what we did in this program just one week after we had quarantined. So I think I want to say March 21st thereabouts was our virtual public presentations. And I found then, and I found up until this point that for some reason presenting in this particular format has its benefits. It's not just a a loss to be doing this over Zoom. I think in some ways the kids can feel more comfortable when they're on a screen. There's just a lot of value to being able to do this program. I think it's one of programs we can truly pull off without sacrificing a ton in the virtual world. Ultimately, we can't compare, but doing this project virtually really created a lot of other opportunities. I mean, this program was running at 7.30 at night twice a week for seven or eight weeks. If we had been doing that in person, I can imagine we would have really struggled to get people into the program. In rural communities, especially, transportation is a major issue, and we are very reliant on parents to get kids somewhere in order for, for programming to happen. Whereas in this venue, it really had its benefits to be able to do some of these things virtually. Catherine and Julia, the assumption that adults have is that youth are much more naturally adept at using technology. Did you find the experience of learning and then participating through technology to develop and tell these stories, was that fairly easy for you guys to pick up or did you have to learn a whole new skill set? I think it was somewhat easy. Because I've had experience in previous schools where I've had to do video projects, but I needed to learn a new skill set to use the 
information that they gave us and to put that into my story. So I think it was somewhat easy, but also challenging at the same time. For me, I always get a bit nervous meeting new people. So it was a lot easier hiding behind a screen at first and then slowly meeting new people and growing attached to it. And then just to jump into the middle now, uh, Madison, Wendy, and Seth, how did you find making the transition from anticipating doing a face-to-face activity to moving it online and still trying to facilitate this growth, this development of new skill sets? What sort of skill sets did you have to develop to make that transition? So I felt like there were a lot of new skills to sort of develop because I, like uh, Seth had mentioned, none of us had ever facilitated a discussion over Zoom, although we had gone to classes beforehand virtually. So I was used to conversing over the virtual format. I also can echo what Melanie said in saying that sometimes it can be a little bit easier and less frightening to present to an audience when it's on your screen and you're in your home, so you're in already an uncomfortable space. So I felt like that was really easier to adjust to rather than teaching a new group of students in a new classroom. But there was definitely a lot to learn on the technical side. So I think the virtual format can be difficult to adjust to at first, but once you uh, learn to work with one another and to use the different capabilities of Zoom, I think it can become a lot easier. Just to add on to Madison, I 100% agree that it was a bit challenging to have a virtual format because I feel like we're all used to having in-person programs and to shift virtually, it's very challenging. But in order to run a smooth Zoom call, it's super important that we all communicated with each other. Yeah, we would definitely have a plan before we presented. And then also we had a group chat with the three of us that while we were going through, if there was something that came up that could prove challenging or something that we needed to remember towards the end, we would just text each other just so we could keep that communication going, like Wendy said. So yeah, communication was huge for making this virtually work really well. Seth, Madison, and Wendy, you each had a slightly different focus, right? You had different formats that you were working with the students on. Could you talk a little bit about what each of you focused on? I facilitated for the presentation group. I've been teaching them how to develop public speaking skills and different ways to present. And in order for them to develop those skills, I like came with activities for them and they'd have to come with the next meeting with a story of their own. So I took the lead on the writing group. When I was younger, I was really into writing and it was one of the things that led me to this project because I'm so passionate about storytelling and kind of recognizing that this would be a great opportunity to connect with other youth who are also passionate about writing and create this space where we could talk about storytelling and we could practice writing. So Seth and Wendy had their own groups, but we would also reflect on the activities we did in our little smaller groups. I could learn from Wendy at Wendy's group and then take that little activity and use it in my writing group. So it was just very interesting. We also were able to learn from each other's smaller groups. So I was running the creative media group, which was focusing around video and podcasts. But it was really a topic that's near and dear to my heart. I've done videography for a long time. I actually started doing it when I was around 13. So kind of the age that most of the students were in my group. Every week, I would walk through 
the process of making a, a video and it was all aiming towards the final project. They all ended up with very incredible projects um, and I was super excited to see what they were able to create. It was really a great experience and it taught me a lot as well. The way that Seth taught how to make a video, I definitely improved. And for the first time ever, I actually was happy with the video I made. I am really honestly impressed in how much I learned in such a short amount of time. And Julia, the video that you created was really interesting and it was on a, a local museum, right? So could you share a little bit more about what the video was about and your inspiration for creating that video? It was actually on FDR. Franklin Delano Roosevelt was born on January 30th, 1882 in Hyde Park, New York. But why would I be so interested in our 32nd president? I live close by to his Hyde Park house, and I've gone there numerous times, and I really knew a lot about him, but mainly in his later years, but I wanted to know more about him as his childhood. So I started thinking about what I would want to talk about in my video, and I presented the idea to Seth, and he he actually said in the final showcase that he was kind of confused about the, the or not confused, but I can't remember the word. Um, but yeah, he, uh, <laughs> I was definitely caught off guard a little bit because I was like, oh, that's a different type of story than I was expecting. But she really made it work. And, and it was pretty incredible how the research all went into a pretty interesting story. And then I also interviewed a park ranger at the Hyde Park house. Usually when we think of storytelling, we think of stories as these sort of organic things that happen maybe around the campfire and you're reminiscing and you tell these stories. But in Julia's case, particularly, we have a story where it is the result of research and discovery. So does somebody want to sort of grab onto that thread is how can stories useful tools for engaging in research and discovery of things you may not have known? Interest is a very interesting construct. You know, what makes us interested in something? It's something that um, psychology research is really only just touching on now. There's not a lot out there on the theory of interest. And I think for our youth, they have such inquiring minds and if there's something they're interested in and you can give them the opportunity to work on that, that interest grows and blossoms and they take it often further than we ever believed possible. And that can lead to a lifelong passion for supporting a cause or for pursuing a specific career path. And it's something that we should always as youth educators be trying to tap into and encourage them. And then that leads into all sorts of other skills, like what sources to use for your research and how to tell a good source from an unreliable source. And it ties back to don't forget about the old skills of using libraries and even microfiche, which is still available <laughs> in some libraries and all that kind of thing. So it's a whole great big new skill set we can build by encouraging them to follow their interests. What are some of the methods you can use to evoke stories? And how did you learn those methods? I think it's fascinating how many things you can learn just by reflecting on what touches you as a person. 
I ended up doing a lot of reading about TED Talks to figure out what were some of the more powerful elements that really bring a presentation or, or storytelling to what we're doing. For me, a lot of it is self-reflection, constructive feedback that we are giving to people who are participating in our programs. Often people have a hard time seeing outside. So like a hook is something that we talk a lot about. In 4-H, when we're teaching public presentations, we call it like a snappy intro. And people really have a hard time with that. And it's funny because often within a story or within a presentation, there's such a good hook there, but people can't see it from the outside. You know, they don't know that would have been a great thing to start with and bring me right into your story. From having seen and given feedback about presentations for the last nine years or so, I'll say that's something I see all the time is, is not being able to figure out what's going to bring people right in and people undervaluing how important it is for other people to understand what it is that they care about when they're presenting about something or telling a story. So I could, I've seen great, well-organized presentations where youth go on for 15 minutes. And so often I have to ask at the end, like, well, why are you interested in that when when I ask them that, they have so much to say and it gushes out of them and they're so passionate and there's so much there. So there's something about that we're trying to figure out about how can we teach that a little bit more explicitly and then how can we help youth to bring up the things that are already often embedded in their own presentations and stories. I think John Tribus really helped us to all to learn a little bit more about specific elements of storytelling and then really think about, um, and really the interns did their own work on that one once they learn that, really thinking about how to explicitly bring that into how they were teaching storytelling. Catherine, you worked with Madison on your storytelling. Could you share a little bit about the stories that you put together and your final project? My idea for the story, it just it's like one of those things that just click into your mind and just pops out of nowhere. And you're like, oh, I really like this. So I decided to do that. Okay, crazy idea. But what if? We wrote a story about And I had wrote down everything, but I didn't know how to put it in. And Madison helped me in with like transitions and using flashbacks. And that also... Thank you. Yeah, your story had an excellent use of flashback and onomatopoeia and dialogue. So really great story. Thank you. What was your greatest learning that occurred during this project? What have you walked away with that you will carry with you? This is Jane. My greatest learning thing is never to underestimate what a group of young people can achieve. I looked at the objectives of the program. I looked at the time frame we had, and I thought, we are never going to achieve this. We have packed way too much into this. And there were some anxious moments, I know. But, you know, together as a team, our interns and our 4-H youth pulled this off. And I never cease to be amazed and impressed by what our young people can do. Uh, Melanie, what are you going to take away from this? I've always been a team player, but as I've mentioned in extension, we often are caught in the situation of having to do something quickly by ourselves. So this really just sort of highlighted to me again, the value of having team members and how much that really strengthens a project and also a, a trust in the process. If you set it up well, I really felt strongly about trying to give the interns as much free reign as possible to have their own project. And if anything, they surprised me with how little support they needed. You know, the value of college students, the value of interns, 
all that was really great. I really, you know, we got a lot of opportunities because of cooperative extension and because of Engage Cornell through this grant, which I'm so deeply appreciative for. And Linda? Definitely support and agree with both Melanie and Jane. And I think another aspect that I will take away is that you can just accomplish so much if people that you're working with are willing to share ideas, work through pros and cons, be creative. Wendy? My greatest takeaway was to be open-minded and listen. And I especially learned this as like being one of the facilitators because oftentimes Seth Madison and I, we prepare activities and sometimes we ask the students to share a story and it becomes super important for us to listen. And through that whole process, I've learned a lot from them about their own experiences and also how they're able to really learn very quickly. Seth? Yeah, I think the big thing that, like Melanie had mentioned earlier, I was pretty skeptical to doing this project virtually, but I think I learned a lot about helping to run virtual presentations and work with the team completely virtually. Uh, And Madison and Wendy, we definitely connected just through our times of like planning, but also just kind of hanging out and chatting about life and other things. I think we got to know each other pretty well, which really helped with that connection. Finally, I learned a lot about deconstructing a topic and how to teach it well. I think that was really uh, something I'd never done much before and I learned a lot from it and I plan to use it in the future. Awesome, Madison. I learned um, so much from Melanie, Linda and Jane as well as Wendy and Seth. I think we all just worked together really well and we would reflect on what we worked well on and then try to replicate different skills that we had learned along the way. But I think I also learned so much from the youth that we worked with, which I wasn't expecting to just learn so much about their personal experiences, how storytelling and writing was so important to them. We have all these activities where they would share stories they would come up with together during the meetings. And I was just so inspired by all of their creativity and how well they collaborated with one another. So I just felt like I really learned a lot from the youth in this project, as well as everyone involved. There was just so much to learn. Something that I took back, there's so many different ways of writing and so many different styles people use. So there's pretty much never going to be writings that are so, like two people writing so similar because there's so many different ways and so many different styles. And Julia. I really took back more what a story means. I used to think it was like, you know, once upon a time, something that somebody just made up. But it's really more than that. It's like an experience that someone has that it's an in-depth experience that they want to share with people. Thanks for listening to this episode. Extension Out Loud was produced and edited by Paul Treadwell with help from Katie Belden and RJ Anderson. For more about this episode, including show notes, a listener survey, uh, sign up for our mailing list, and more, visit extensionoutloud.com. And be sure to subscribe to Extension Out Loud on your favorite podcast directory.